Good afternoon church. Bwana asifiwe and happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. May the Lord continue to shine his face upon you. May he be gracious to you. Um, when I, I was being reminded of my own journey um, in, 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 in the early days of my growing up. And, and um, I recalled that, you know, the, the impact of a father in one's life is something that remains with you for all of your life. Um, my brother was here earlier. And I was just recounting how growing up, um, though our father died, I was 14, he was 15, what he taught us, we have referenced all our lives, including today, when we are grandparents. And we remembered uh, what he taught us, conversations that we had years and years ago. Um, and, and, and I was thinking, it's very easy to be casual about fatherhood. And, and we, we do not know just the amount of impact and the authority that God has given fathers. And things that you say in passing remain emblazed in children's minds and souls for all their lives. It's, it's a very scary thing when you think about it. And, and uh, in those days we did life with my father. He was an extremely engaged father, very productive. He was disciplinarian. He was also gracious and, and kind. He was also fun. So he combined a lot of things. Um, and though he, I mean, I only knew him for 14 years, the impact that he had on my life is incredible. Um, because he did so many things. Uh, he was a, an artist. Um, he did sculptures. His, my love for art also comes uh, from there. And, and, and he did so, so many things. He was a farmer, a very good farmer. So the days that we spent, you know, uh, in the cow shed, you know, milking cows and cutting napier grass, which we hated, you know, um, and, and, and planting flowers. He used to plant flowers for export and grading flowers and knowing the very many intricate things. We had a quarry that he operated and we blasted stones in the quarry and he taught us how to do it. So we did very risky things and, and you know, we had explosions in, in the quarry. And everybody had to be involved. You know, so we, we, we drilled holes, and many of them would do them manually. You know, he had instruments for that. And we'll drill holes, put explosives deep inside the, the holes, and, and then have those long wicks and burn them, and then there would be explosions so that the stones would come out. So when I think how young we were and the risky things that he made us do, you know, um, that's real love from a father. <laughs> And so he would demonstrate and say, you know, this is what you do. And he said, this thing can kill you, so don't play around with it. When I say you set the wick and you set it properly, and then you take off, yeah, I mean you take off. Because <laughs> when the explosion comes, it will be a real one. And one day I, I remember watching, um, I didn't follow some of the instructions, and, and, and we were supposed to put heaps of um, very heavy sand, uh, bags on, of sand, on top of the hole. Um, but you know boys, so we decided to skip that one to see what would happen. And, and I remember huge rocks, maybe three, four times the size of these being hurled into the air, you know, and then brought back. Meanwhile, you're standing from afar, and of course that is a yes moment for a boy, because you want to see the reaction. He wasn't very happy with that. But when I think about it, um, we never struggled, my brothers and I, with, with the work ethic the ability to do work because we did all kinds of work. 
Many times lunch would be brought by my mom in the shamba or in the quarry, wherever we were working at that point. I was driving at age 12, and driving was not fun in my house, you know, because you took the car because there was nipia grass to be picked from somewhere. So we actually avoided the car because of the work that was associated with it. But those, that's how he taught some of us how to have a good work ethic. And, and, and when I think about those things, they have carried me into the future. Um, so I've never struggled with a with work ethic. I've never struggled with the ability to work hard in order to provide. Those are not some of the challenges I or my brothers ever had because of that early mentoring. Um, and when I think about that, uh, God himself is a worker. God works. We say it in Genesis, he worked for six days. In fact, he commands his, his people, the Israelites. Later on, it becomes a law. He says, six days, you will do your work. It's a command. You will do your work. But on the seventh day, you will rest. Why? Because I rested. You're my image bearers. You're my representatives. But six days, you will do your work. It's a command from God. And, 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 and we also say that work comes before the fall. So there is not just dignity in labor, but there is a real blessing that is attached uh, to it because it's part of how we reflect back the image of God and the value and the character of God. Um, when God created man, you know, before Eve was created, he actually planted a garden in the east. We read that, and we say it's a beautiful passage. It says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Aden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. That is provision. God had already provided for humanity, and so he didn't leave him to fend for himself. So, so as, as father figures... Uh, part of how we reflect the image of God is that we work and we provide and there's dignity in that. And if you don't do that, you, you will be bereft of the dignity that would have been yours because you did not reflect that part of God's image as one who works, as one who provides, as one who cares. In fact, it's part of who we are. It's in, encrypted in our DNA. And we said even in the curse of man, there is work. You know, out of the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. And, and, and if men don't work, they don't have dignity. Did you know that? There's no dignity begging. You know that. So even if you are receiving food voluntarily, there's still no dignity. If you did not work for it. Because you are eating out of somebody else's sweat. And therefore nullifying God's command out of the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. I want you to hear me because it's a spiritual matter. And sometimes we think it's a casual thing. It's not. It's a very serious thing. And you remember the person who could not work. It's Cain because he was cast by God. And the ground rejected him. So he would never be able to do any meaningful work. And the result of not doing meaningful work is that you become a restless wanderer. It's a curse of Cain. You, you might not be wandering like Cain roaming the ground, but even if you are in your bed, what you're doing is aimless. And you're restless. And hear me well. It will be very difficult 
for those who love you, including your spouse, to respect you if you do not work. They may purport to, but deep inside, they do not. I kid you not. They will not respect you. They will look at you and wonder, what manner of man is this? That's what they're asking in their heart. They're not telling you. They'll call you Baba so-and-so, but what manner of Baba is this? It's a very serious spiritual matter. And I want to differentiate between work and having a job. Those are two different things. The fact that you don't have a job does not mean you should not work. Work is what gives you dignity. Whether, regardless of whether you're a computer scientist or even if you're an astronaut and there are no more flights to, to the moon, you should still work. All right? Wake up and trim the hedges. Let the home look different because you are there. Because if you don't, you will go crazy or you become idle and you, what you will start doing is entertaining yourself. And a lot of entertainment will take you to dark places. Addictions like pornography and, 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 and gambling and things to occupy yourself is part of aimless wandering. And that is a curse. It's a curse of Cain. So for the sake of your soul, find work for your hands. Because God says, I will bless what? The work of your hands. Where there is no work, there is no blessing. And this is only for men. Because the woman's role is very different. I'm saying this because we need to set ourselves free to receive God's blessing. God expects men to work. If you can't find a job, go and volunteer somewhere so that you can work. Any man who works with his hands will be able to put food on the table. And there's nothing else that is required of you. And if you do that, out of the work you have done, God will find a way of blessing you. He will. And he will find a way of compensating you so that you have dignity and you have honor. Our dignity and our honor is tied to work. I have to say this because uh, probably men of our generation, Kenya, Dr. Nanga, are wondering, what are you talking about? But we all work. No, we don't. Not anymore. There are people who are okay not working. I want to say it's not okay. Okay? And, and, and it is a spirit. If, you've, if you've, you've normalized not working, please know that it is a spiritual bondage that you are into. Call Pastor Mwauran, myself, and others. And we will, we will break that bondage so that your eyes can be opened and so that you know this is not normal. And that, that you know that you should not be comfortable being left in the house, your wife going and working and finding you at home. It is not okay. You must find work so that you open yourself to the blessings of God and you avoid the curse of Cain of being an aimless wanderer on the earth that God has given you. God has much more for you. I say this with kindness and I, with much grace because it's a sad, it's, it's a sad thing. Uh, it's part of what the enemy is doing uh, to bring bondage to men so that we never realize the full potential that God has given us. God will bless you if you follow the pattern of who he is. He is provider. 
And he put the man in the garden. He ensured that there is enough for him to eat. So that when Eve shows up, Eve never has to lift a finger in order to know where her food will come from. The man already will go around telling, by the way, this one is very edible. You taste this fruit, you know, as though he planted it. But God had done it for him. But, but you see, that's part of the dignity that God is giving to, um, to Adam so that he will be respect-worthy to Eve. The Lord God had put the man, had taken the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Work comes before the curse because God knows that Adam will get his dignity from trimming the hedges. It's not very serious work. Looking after the garden, ensuring everything is going well. But that occupies him in a way that he also, he also is able to enjoy at the wonders of what God has done and become a co-worker. You realize that's what Christians are called, co-workers with Christ. Why? Because their Christ is always working. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to 15. This is way after, this is New Testament now, uh, and, and people are doing, this is the work of the gospel. This is Paul talking to the Christians in Thessalonica, and he says this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when a statement starts like that, it's a very serious one. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so this is not even me saying this is a spiritual matter he's trying to tell them. We command you, it's not a request, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle. He's not even talking to non-believers. He's saying believers, okay, who is idle and disruptive. Again, the two go together. If you're idle, you'll probably be disruptive. Because you have to look for something to occupy yourself. And since you're not occupying yourself with something useful like work, you're going to be disruptive. Work adds value to society. It adds value to community. You become a blessing to people. And we know of many who have looked at the society and how it's functioning. They've not been happy with what they've seen. And so they have come in to seek a solution for that society. I met a, was in coast another day. I met a group of young men and, and they were walking around the beach. They decided, you know, this hassle is not good enough. So what they were doing is just collecting all the plastic around the beaches. And they've been doing it for some time. It began as voluntary. Others saw what they were doing. They came alongside them. They decided, you know, we can hook you up with some environmental uh, whatever. There are many of those things and which have funding, you know. And now they're doing really well. But it started with adding value to society. Let's clean our beaches. So there's always work to do. It's not a job. It didn't start as a job. And you know, I know you know many who, who are doing the same. So, he says this, every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching that you received from us. So this is a teaching from scripture. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. You know, it's a serious matter. Our parents taught us, and any one of you who knows my wife, uh, and the ladies know this in, in our ministry, you never go to visit empty-handed. She says you carry, even if it's a packet of milk or some bread. It's part of saying, you know, I recognize that this food I'm going to eat also came from somewhere. Let me in a small way return something. We see in the economy too. You go carrying something as a token to dignify and to honor your host. Even, and it's not a question of affordability. My wife has taught our children the same way. 
you're not bringing us because we don't have. We, we require you to bring because it's about your heart. We want to know, you know, that your heart is, is a giving heart. Don't become a selfish person. Of course, we don't need anything from them. They need much from us, you know, and we're happy to give. But we want to know when you come to visit, don't come empty-handed. It's a serious matter in my house. You can be locked out for real, you know. Even if it's a packet of milk and bread, because it's your heart we are concerned about. Develop a generous giving heart. Because if you don't have that, what it means then, it's that you're shrinking inside. You're becoming smaller, not bigger. And we want you to make room for God so that your heart is generous and is a giving heart. God works through people like that. And if God sees your attitude, then he knows you're a giver. Even if you have nothing, he will make sure that he has put something in your hand so that you can pass on the blessing to somebody else. It's an attitude thing. It's not whether you have or you do not have. So, then, so he says, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. So, Paul is not being petty. It's a spiritual matter. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. It's that serious. It's that serious. You recognize that whenever the Lord Jesus Christ was in a crowd, one of the things that he would do is to feed them. When he was walking with those disciples, they invited him in after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. All right? You remember he said, they said, they insisted, come, because it's almost evening. Then he went in. They didn't know who it was. He's their visitor. But when he was with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and then at that time it was recognized by them. He's the visitor. He's the one feeding them the bread of life. If we are imitators of God, then we will also be providers. We will work hard so that we have something to give those who do not have. It's part of representing God well in this world, in this needy, needy world. So he says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I want to say it's a spiritual matter. It is not to be taken lightly. To settle down and earn the food they eat. The requirement is not big. He doesn't say work and, and buy a BMW. It's unnecessary. That's not the issue at all. He's saying, carry your own weight. And let me say this, and this is something I've told some of my younger colleagues. When you're going for a ratio, you know what that is? Okay? Don't carry joy riders. I'm very serious. You're going for a ratio. The main issue is you're helping this young man to raise enough money to be able to have a bride and, and to dignify the in-laws, right? Then you find a fleet of 50 cars, none of whom even have enough to give you 100 shillings so that you can get a bride and, and, and don't do that. 
If somebody will not carry their own weight, leave them behind. You have to have a minute because they, those guys, they prepare well. They are going to go into, I mean, they better even go into debt because So they will cook, they will change ambuses for you, they, they will do amazing things. If you can't do the simple bill, ujue, mimi naenda kule, I'll probably eat food worth over 800 shillings or 1,500 shillings. Na alafu nampatia the guy who's looking for 500 bob. You haven't carried your weight. Do some simple math. Don't become a burden to somebody. If, I, I'm, if I'm truly, if, if David King is getting married and he is, because this time I'm on the side of the girl. She's, she's my niece. So later kitumzuri. I'll be seeing. If that is happening, and I know that I, I'm, I'm broke, I can't afford, but Devi is my friend. Rather than carry, you know, I'm even telling him, you know, do you, do you have, can you give me a ride? So I've even taken space of somebody else who had, would have been added more value. And I'd rather give him my 500 and tell him I'm not able to come, but may the Lord bless you. Add this to whatever. Do simple maths, all right? If you want the joy riding, come for the wedding. You know, that one the church will even contribute. Nobody will know that you, you did not add real value. But he'll be happy to see you there. He'll be happy to see you there. I'm sorry, that was... Uh... But, but we need to speak truth to each other. Because a lot of times, you know, we become an unnecessary... The, the scripture is teaching here. Let's not... He, Paul is saying, when we ate your food, we made sure that we carried our weight. We did not become a burden. We, when I come to you, let me be a person who adds value. All right? Be pleased to see me. Sometimes you can even know by the way somebody hugs you. They're actually happy you are there. Because you add value to them. Lakini mtu wakikushag na nishigo upande, ujua najua hapa saa uu ni mzigo uyu. Nimewekelewa. There are people who do that. It's not a good thing. Um, and because we are Christians, we extend grace to them. But people who have the enlightenment of the understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, such people, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this matter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. All right? Again, we are each other's brothers and keepers. We want to go along this journey with responsibility. So if you can see that I'm not being responsible in my being a representative of Christ here on earth, you know, by the way, when you do this, this is not good. As a believer, this is, you should do one, two, three. So we are admonishing each other so that we are becoming better and we are maturing in our walk with Christ. We cannot remain babies all our lives. And so uh, I think on this matter, um, in Enough said, but I pray that we will be good image bearers when it comes to 
uh, reflecting the image of God as far as responsibility and work is concerned. So that as people look at us, they know that we are a blessing. When we appear, they know that they will be blessed because we came. That way, even when we fall into hard times, there will be more than enough hands to help us because they know our heart. This is a generous brother. This is a generous sister. These, these are good people. It's unfortunate that COVID has come, this and that has happened, but you know what? You know, we will show up for them because they always showed up for us. I think that's how we carry a good testimony. But beyond that, uh, Jesus himself was a worker, John 4, 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. This is the incident where Jesus was left behind. He skipped lunch so that he could evangelize to the Samaritan woman. He told the disciples, you guys go to town. Go look for food. There is a ministry that he's waiting to do, and he doesn't want interference. So he sent them over. They come back with food, and they're urging him, Rabbi, do eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I will skip lunch so that this work can be done. Again, Jesus is a worker. He said his father also is always working. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the saying, one sows, the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So it's, a, it's a quiet rebuke. I expect you to work. Look at the harvest. Go do it. So don't just be preoccupied with you know, food to eat. There are other things that God is looking at that are more important, like the harvest of evangelism. It is right. Let's do the work, Jesus says. But God is beyond that. I think in reflecting his image, there are many things that he, 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 he comes through to us. And one of the things he does especially in, a, in sometimes a world that can be very rough and cruel and, uh, and uncaring, he comes across to us as a protector. Again, when we see those attributes of God, especially those of us who bear the word Father, is this is what I expect to, you to be, to be a protector. Listen to some of the things that he tells his children. Listen to me, Isaiah 46, 3, 4, 3 to 4. You descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom have upheld since your birth, and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs. I am he. I am he who will still sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Th those are words of comfort for some fathers who are tired and weary, who have carried burdens all their lives, established their families, blessed them, invested, done so much, and now you're tired and you're weary. And you're asking, who is at my corner? Who's watching out for me? Who cares that I have exhausted myself and spent myself all these years? Does somebody care? God says, yeah, I'm here. I'm your protector. I watch you. And not just now. He says, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This is 
the kind of God that he is. He's saying, I'll watch over you. Don't fret. Don't complain. Don't say there's nobody at my corner. I'm here. And I'll be here for you, even into your gray hairs. So I will not change. Even when you are old, you don't have as much resources or energy as you had, I will still sustain you. Listen to Isaiah 66, verse 10 to 14. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all who mourn over her. Because sometimes Jerusalem will be devastated by the Gentiles. It will be oppressed. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like the grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. And when you imagine who God is, and sometimes he will be the mighty, victorious, powerful warrior, subduing enemies, scattering them. And then there's this beautiful, tender picture of God. Very effeminate, if you like. Very tender. And he's picturing his people. I will carry you like a mother carries her child. You know? Gentleness. I will nurse you. You know? You'll be dandled on her knees. Very beautiful. And God is saying, I'm still the one who will refresh you. I know where you're wounded. I know when you're hurting. You know? I know what you need. And I know that I can supply. And he gives his words of comfort. and says, don't worry. I've got you. I'll take care of you. I know what your needs are. And I'll not do it short term. I'll do it even into your gray hairs. I'll still protect you. I'll still watch over you. And these beautiful pictures of God are supposed... And he's still father. He has not changed. He's still the father. And he's trying to tell us, you know, the, our people that he has given us charge over, should be able to come to us for nurture, for care, for love, for tenderness, for provision, for protection. You see, it's, 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 it's not an image that is opposed to fatherhood. And he says that gentleness, that love, that prote protection. Our children should be able to say somebody hurt them in school, and, and, and they should be able to say, wait till I tell my daddy, you know, because dad is a God who extends justice, discipline, but also mercy. And they know that things will be set right when daddy comes, that the wrongdoer will be punished, but the one that is hurt will be comforted and nurtured back to healing. And that's the picture that God wants us to have. Um, and as fathers, I think is, these are beautiful imageries of what it means to be a father to be a comforter, to be one who cares for, to be one who provides for uh, those that God has given us uh, to care for. And I think it's very intentional that he would put these images here uh, so that we know that this, these are part of his attributes, his loving, caring attributes uh, that we are to emulate as father figures on earth. He says this, 
in Isaiah 43, the famous one, 1 to 7. But now this is what the Lord says. Again, he's our protector. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Again, God wants to be very personal. He's, he's the great God. He's the God and the creator of all the earth. But he's also personal. He's saying, you can relate to me. I have called you in particular by name. You are mine. We have a relationship here. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Not because they are not hot. Not because they are not real. Not because the river is not in flood. No, because I'm the Lord, your God. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's a very personal message. Again, fathers go through all kinds of stressful situations. Um, losing businesses, losing jobs. You feel like you're losing a grip on what defines you as a father. And these are comforting words from God saying, don't worry, don't be afraid. I am your God. I know you. I know what you're going through. I have called you by name. You are mine. So your fate is tied to you knowing me and me knowing you. And so the waters will come. I don't refuse. He hasn't told us that everything will be smooth. Those jobs might be lost. Businesses might hit rock bottom. But guess what? The rivers will not overflow you. Even the fire will not set you ablaze. It evokes the pictures of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and a furious Nebuchadnezzar, you know, uh, baying for their blood. But inside, he's saying, was one like the Son of God, walking with them. And by the time they came out, their hairs were not singed. There was not even the smell of smoke on them or their clothing. Why? Not because the fire was not real. It burned those who were outside the furnace, but those who were in it with God were saved. He says, I will rescue you. I know what you're going through. Your situation is not greater than mine, or is not greater than me. And I'm able to quell the fire, the, the fury of the fire. I'm able to rebuke the storms and to say, peace, be still, and they will have to obey me. So he says, they will not sweep over you. The fire shall not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And he says, I give Egypt for a ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Why? Since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. Because you're precious and honored in my sight. You see, if I came and, and told Devi, you know, you are precious and honored in my sight, he'll evaluate you, the statement based on who is giving it, and he knows I have limited knowledge of him. He might say, precious and honored in your sight, that's because you don't know me very well. He might think that way, okay? But when the statement is predicated upon a God who knows everything about anything that will ever be known about you, who knew you before you were formed in my, your mother's womb, who knew what you would do next year when you have not yet been there, then you know it's a statement of truth. It's based on everything that he knows about you and he says you're precious and honored in my sight. 
Therefore, your dignity is not predicated on what you do or who you think you are, what people say. It's predicated upon how I evaluate you. You're precious. You're honored in my sight. And he says, and because I love you, I choose to love you. Then you know that you're secure. You know he means what he's saying. You know that this is not flattery. It's not just placating you with platitudes. No, 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 no. He says, I define you and I declare who you are. You're precious. You are honored in my sight. So he says this, do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name who I created for my glory who I formed and I made. I have a purpose for them. And that purpose is my glory and it will not fail. They are precious. They are honored in my sight. What a way to dignify the people that we love. What a beautiful thing that our loved ones, our spouses, our children never have to wonder whether they are precious, whether they are honored in our sight, whether we love them, that they will know I'm secure in my father's house because I'm precious and I'm honored in his sight. And this is a call to fatherhood to dignify those around us with expressions of love, with expressions of honor, with expressions of dignity so that they feel secure in our presence. In the New Testament, again, Jesus just wanting people to know how precious they were, he cries out for Jerusalem because there's danger coming and he wanted to shelter them. Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That image is very beautiful if you grew up, you know, with those Kienyeji chicks as they went to fend out there and they have their little two chicks around there and, and, and the mwewe was hovering around, you know, and how the chicks would gather under the wings and then they would peep from somewhere there and then they, they were telling the mwewe, you can't catch me, you know, and they knew they couldn't be caught because they were under the shelter of their mommy's wing. This is a picture Jesus gives of Jerusalem, rebellious Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and those that he sends to them. So it's not that they are good guys. They're not even doing something good. But he says, this is still my desire, to shelter you, to protect you, to be a blessing to you. But you're not willing. I pray that our own people would find that kind of willingness. And they know that if I turn around and go to my father's house, I will find shelter I will find belonging, I'll find identity, I'll find love, and I'll find care, and above all, I'll find forgiveness. So that our homes can be established on love. Lastly, another attribute of God that is beautiful is that God is a blesser at the end of the day. He blesses. 
in Deuteronomy chapter six, 7, verse 6 forward, says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Again, this is a choice that he makes. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other people, for you are the fewest of the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. That's blessings of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. And he says, if you pay attention to these laws, he sets the laws so that he can come and bless. He sets the stage for him to be a blessing to us. And, and, and this is what he says. He will love you and bless you. And increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crop of your land, your grain, your new wine, and your olive oil, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. The Lord will keep you free from the diseases. You will not, he will not inflict on you any of the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on those who hate you. He sweetened the deal so much to make it impossible for Israel to say no to him. Because the nature of God is that God is a blesser. And he gives his rules, his decrees, and to set the stage for blessing. He says, these are my conditions. And guess what? I will bless you more than any other people. I will make you the envy of the nations so that others will see you and be attracted to the God that you serve. Other places like in Malachi, he says, I just want you to do these minimum requirements. Bring the whole tithe into the house of God and see, test me in this and see if I'll not pour out, not even give, pour out such a blessing from heaven that you will have no room for it. God is a blesser. And he gives us terms and conditions to make it easy for him to pour his blessing on us. How I pray that also as father figures and representatives of God here, that we will be blessers of those in our households. Not just in material things or in giftings and things like that, but even in our speech, that our children would come close to us because they know that they have a blessing that when they are near, they know the words that will be spoken will be words of affirmation, words of blessing, words of direct, giving them direction and purpose and hoping and wishing them well that we will say the kind of prayers that will encourage them. Lord, may you establish them. May my, their children be great in the land. You know, um, may everything that they do prosper. May you follow them. May you watch over them. May you protect them in everything that they do. This is the calling of fathers that we can be a blessing to our children, both biological and spiritual. This is who God is. And this is what our call is. You do that and we will, have, we will not have to ask to be honored 
We will not ask, have to ask to be respected. Our authority will not be questioned because it will be an authority like that which is God-delegated, an authority that is used for good and not for evil, power that is used to bless and to establish, power that is used to protect from anything that is evil, to ensure that our people um, can sleep at night. Like the Bible says, God watches over the righteous. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. That when you're present in your family, there is peace and people can sleep well because they know that dad is around. As we close, listen to what are called the last words of David. These are the last words of David in Second Samuel chapter 23. The inspired utterance or the oracles of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's song. Others say, you know, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Again, even the way he ends it, you know, this is a man who has walked with God. And, and he talks of himself, the exalted one, you know, the one who God has exalted. He has walked closely with God. And so he has certain minimum guarantees that he can boast about because he knows that God will never fail. And if he, he has kept his part of the bargain, God will never fail him. So David sings and, and, and says this. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His words were on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when a man, a man rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of the Lord, he is like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. Wow. Imagine that summer, if that summarizes your headship as the father of your homestead, that they can say this about you, you know, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. There's just something magical and beautiful and powerful about those sunrises in the morning, about the way the beams of, 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 of the light just capture everywhere and bring light and freshness and beauty in a morning. And then he talks about it from a productive, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. Meaning nothing has been choked from growth. Those around you have thrived. They have fulfilled their purpose. They've reached to the stars. They've become great. And he says that's what leadership is. Good leadership by godly men. That is what it does. And then he does his own self-evaluation. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. So he says, I'm right with God. My household, my leadership has been godly. So God has made with me an everlasting covenant. Arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant my every desire. So these things have been done because I've ruled well. And David was very powerful. He was a very, very powerful man in terms of his absolute authority. Israel's borders extended all over. It was the greatest during his days. It shrank from the days of Solomon going forward. He was powerful. Others say, rulers who don't know me, they come to my feet and they tremble. So he was a superpower. 
then he was super wealthy. The amount of money that he gave for the building of the temple, the gold from his personal treasury, he was powerful and very wealthy. But he was equally godly. And so he says, because I have ruled like this. So he had a lot of delegated power and authority from God that made him that great. But he never abused it. He used it to establish the kingdom of God, which at that time was the kingdom of Israel. He understood that everything he had was from God and it was to be used for the glory of God. So God has made with him an everlasting covenant. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns which are not gathered by the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron like a shaft or a spear. They are burnt up where they lie. So there he's giving a difference between those who did not train in righteousness, and him who has ruled in righteousness. I pray that as men of God, as fathers in our homes, that we would establish a rule of righteousness. That when our children and our wives and our relatives rise up, they will feel like how you feel the brightness of the sunshine during daybreak, you know, there's no darkness at all. Uh, the, the day brings hope and you know it's going to be a good day. That anyone who's trying to, you know, develop a skill, uh, it's like that brightness that brings forth the grass from the morning. And you look at it and everything is growing and everything is thriving under us. May that be our legacy. May that be our heritage. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And in the days ahead, may the Lord turn his countenance towards you. May he give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.